Welcome to the podcast. It's Vandermeer's View, where we talk about a lot of different things, including but not limited to Texans football, maybe stuff beyond the blue lot like broadcasting or anything else that happens to be on my mind, and hopefully you find this entertaining too. And our maiden voyage here features the career of Patty Smith. Let's get into it. I am so honored to be joined by Patty Smith, who I've worked with for many years and is wonderful. Now she's with the Harris County Houston Sports Authority. How's it going, Patty? It is going great. So I, right off the bat, I take that introduction as mm-hmm. since this is important to you, mm-hmm. that I am important to you. Of course you're important to me. You're, you're very important to me. And when I see you, like we've joked about this, but it's not even really joking. You, you were my TV wife for so long, and I still consider you my TV wife in a way. In a way, but now I'm kind of your radio wife. Yeah, I know, because we're doing that. Promoting now I do the, your show instead of you doing my show. I know. I was doing all your shows, and I was kind of like the guest. I was the two, you know? I was just participating in whatever show, Texans Huddle or Texans Weekly or the pregame show that we were doing on Fox Sports Southwest, and it was so much fun. In fact... We started doing those shows together in the early days when you were still with Bart Ennis doing Fox Sports Southwest Texan shows. Yeah. And then I would jump in, and I was the third guy. I was the third wheel. And then I broke up your marriage. You broke up our marriage, kicked Bart out on the side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And now you've worked from number three all the way up to number one and thrown me to the curb. Well, not necessarily. Not now really I'm back like with that. Bart. No, now you're back. Well, you're not really back with I'm Bart, not back are you? With Bart at no, all. you're not. He's no. with uh, with uh, Root Sports, AT and T Sports Network. These names yes. change so quickly, don't no, they? No, love absolutely love and miss Bart for sure. Yeah, and I still see him in Rockets games, yep. Astros. Now you used to do that whole circuit, and we'll get into that. I want to get into your career here because oh I know that you probably get flooded with requests from young women, especially who want to get into broadcasting. Never mind young everybody, but women especially. And I, I think that you're a great mentor to so many. You're a great example for so many on how to do things right in this business. And I think it's very difficult for women. These are my opinions here, but we can get into that. I want to know what your opinions are. You started out, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you start out on the off-camera side, like behind the scenes? So how did you get into this whole thing, Patty? Um, yes, I did. Actually, I started in Atlanta, and I, um, I started as a writer. I was writing for a little small newspaper in Atlanta called Sporting Times, and the guy who owned the paper actually also... Oh, um, did a weekly show called Falcons Report, which was a kind of like our Texans Weekly, right? Uh, but it was for the Atlanta Falcons. So, I mean, I was, you know, literally I'd go around and just log tape and, and just sort of watch and work for free just on that show. And anyway, within about a year or so, I was producing the show. So uh, I ended up as I started as a producer, and that's how I started with Fox uh, a few, you know, a number of years later as a producer and just produced the pregame show for the Astros, the Rockets, the Mavericks, the Rangers, uh, the Spurs, the Stars, anything that any pre and post game show that was done on. Uh, the Fox Sports Southwest region was all done out of Houston. Kevin Eschenfelder hosted the show, and I was his producer for years. And then um, eventually, probably in about 2000, I decided I wanted to go on air. So I went on air in 2000. So when you were doing all that producing, I remember this era of Fox where they would have a hub and do shows. Because in South Florida, we had a show there, and my buddy Joe Zagacki was the local reporter, and all the regional Fox Sports I don't know if all of them were, but a lot of them were taking this this desk feed from. Was it Houston? Was that it's where the, still to this day is? I mean, different now. I mean, South. Uh-huh. You know, 
all of Southwest programming, all those teams I mentioned, we actually did production and a, and a show out of Houston when we were at our offices out in Gulfton. But yeah. to this day, every region in the country of Fox Sports goes through the Woodlands. I right. mean, the operations center is here. So, you know, um, everything does go through a hub and gets put back out. So I don't yeah. know what your guy in Florida was exactly. He was the local reporter on the ground because they would have a local reporter there to like go to practice and, you know, find out what was going on with everything. Cause there was a, a nightly South Florida report. So it wasn't just like they had the heat or the Panthers or whoever they had at the time, but they would cover the dolphins and maybe they had a dolphins TV show and maybe he would contribute to that, but they still had, I can't remember the names of the guys in Houston who were hosting the show, but it was just kind of a weird setup. It worked though. Because everybody's a pro. You that know, wasn't on when the it desk. was Ra- Spencer and Randy, was it? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. But So you were doing that in Atlanta. And during that time, you learned how to deal with cameras and editing. And you just learned so much about the business, right? Working behind the scenes. How important is that when you're an on-air person? How valuable is that to know all that stuff as you go in front of the camera now and now you're talent? Huge. I mean, I, I never really learned the technical side of it. Mm-hmm. I never really was a shooter and an editor and all of that. But from a producer standpoint and a storytelling standpoint, it's huge. Because as talent or as a reporter or as um, an on-camera person, I mean, you know, how many shows have we done? We don't have a producer. I mean, right. we are doing it in our head because you know how to tell a story. Yeah. So because of all those years of putting segments together and knowing, you know, okay, well, I need this kind of intro, that kind of outro. I need to toss to this. Let's go here. This makes sense. Right. I mean, I can produce a show in my head as talent on the air. And, you know, you're not just a pretty face or a talking head that's, you know, doing what your producer tells you to do. So I think it helped a lot. We used to have a producer. We used to write everything out for Texas Huddle. Remember that? Or it was all written out somehow and... And then it was yeah, not. And they were good producers. But then you look at I mean, look how many, then you're kind of re- memorizing lines and we're not yeah. really being us. Yeah. You know? I mean, and not that those weren't good shows because they were, and they were probably better because they were well scripted <laughs> and you and I tend to go off on tangents. But I think over the years as that evolved and we weren't so scripted, you know, we were able to kind of be more ourselves and have more fun with the show. Which I think I the chemistry was there. And yeah. and during training camp, especially when we're doing a show a day, yeah, you can't script all that stuff. You just got to go and yeah. do it. And I think In you're right. In a hundred right. degree heat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you lose your mind. And our, our blooper reel is still out there on Facebook and yep. it surfaces every once in a while. Every year it seems to come back. Somebody will share it. Then, you know, we'll get tagged or whatever. And then I watch the thing again. I think and it's I like crack a, up. It's an eight-minute blooper reel yeah. or something like that. Like, we made a lot of mistakes. It's awesome. It's <laughs> but Gray though. Moore, who we shot with for a long time, mm-hmm. saved a lot of that stuff. And, and it is priceless, really, you know, some of the, the little errors that we made. Okay, so you decide in 2000 you want to go on the air. So how does that work? What would you do? How would you get on the air? You. This is actually a pretty good story, but do I have time to tell it? You have time to tell it. Okay. So Mike Anastasio is our executive producer right. at the time, and I said I want to go on air, and he's like, of course you do. All Everybody wants to go yeah. on air. Um, so he, he's, and keep in mind, I had been, you know, out there doing Astros for, you know, five or six years at that point, Rockets, whatever, and... Um, producing. Producing. So, mm. you know, I'm already out there, have relationships with the players, blah, blah, blah. So he says, all right, well, you know, like he probably does to everybody, give it, you know, put, go shoot a stand up. Let me see what you got. Do a demo. Yeah. 
So I'm like, all right. So I went out there and instead of just doing a, and the Astros were playing the Florida Marlins that night that I did my stand up, And instead of just going out and saying, you know, hi, I'm Patty Smith and the Astros are playing the Marlins today. And this is who's pitching and blah, blah, blah. I got a little creative and I turned, put my producer hat on. So basically my stand up was something to the effect of, um, hi everyone. Welcome to, um, Minute Maid Park. Then it was Enron Field. Welcome to Enron right. Field. Um, you know, the Astros are taking on the Marlins tonight and Brad Penny is the starting pitcher, blah, blah, blah. But the big story of the night is Patty Smith is making her, her television debut tonight <laughs> and everyone in the entire organization could not be more fired up about it. <laughs> Boom. It goes to Jeff Bagwell. Oh, he's talking about so it? So Jeff Bagwell's soundbite, which, of course, I know him. I have a relationship with him. So yeah. I go to Jeff, and Jeff says, oh, my gosh, this is a night we've all been waiting for. In fact, um, he says, <laughs> you know, my, I owe my career to Patty Smith. I just resigned here. I would never have gotten my big contract without her guidance. Oh, great move. And um, I, the reason I stayed in Houston was because of Patty Smith. Then it cuts to Jerry Hunsaker. As the GM of the team, I don't make a decision without first consulting with Patty Smith. So I had three or four of these guys, you know, playing into oh, this brilliant. little thing, come back on and, you know, kind of close it out. I sent the tape up to Mike, and he looked at it, and he said, I don't care if you're awful on the air. If you have the connections and you can get those guys to say that, you're hired. And I never yeah. went back. I went on air for the next, like, that day. I love this. I didn't know this story. Ask and you shall receive. You never told me this that's story. On air. That is such a great story. And that's what I tell. I mean, you ask about these, you know, young kids, young girls, whatever, coming and saying, because literally, you know, you get somebody who has a friend of a friend or whatever, who's graduating college, wants an internship, wants to talk yeah. to you, pick your brain. How do you, well, there's so many of them you better figure out a way to separate yourself. Yep. And so, you know, I may not be the smoothest. I may not look the best. I may not be the most knowledgeable, a million things. But what do I have that they don't have? Figure it out. Figure out what you're good at, what your what your talents are. And that's what I had the ability to do That at that point was be right. creative that nobody else could have done what I did, and it worked. I think it's creative, and it's also fearless. You know, you're able to put away your fear and make contacts like that and communicate like that with people. I mean, not everybody can walk up to a general manager of a professional sports franchise and say, hey, can you give me a soundbite on why I would be awesome on the air? That might not go over so well. But you do have something also that I think is very important, and that's likability. And I think that it's important for young kids of any industry to be likable, to be easy to work with, to be fun to work with. Don't you think that goes a long way as well? Well, yeah, and it, exact, and I, it goes to what the story I just told, and it goes to what you're saying, and I tell my kids this. In my opinion, every single thing in life comes down to your relationships. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's face it, at the end of the day, you know, when it's all said and done, it's probably about your relationship with your family because that's the one who's going to be there at the end and cares. Right. But in the workforce, and you know, if I didn't have a relationship with Jeff Bagwell, that never would have happened. If I didn't right. have a, and and I get what you're saying, you have to develop likability or whatever it is, and and that is something, and not to blow smoke up my dress or whatever, but I, that is something I take pride in is my relationships with people, mm-hmm. whether it's you or Jerry Hunsaker or whoever. I mean, it, that's just, and that kind of comes easy. And it doesn't matter if they're big shots. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, the janitor. Um, you, you, you have to develop relationships with people. Um, and I, I think that is the quickest and easiest and most uh, gratifying way to success. All right. So you get the job now. You're on the air. And what are you doing? What was the first stuff? Astros and Rockets and... Yeah. Doing sideline I mean, reporting type stuff? Yeah. I mean, it pretty quickly evolved because uh, there was just 
it was the right time at, at Fox at that point, and um, basically we had just brought on Bart Ennis around the same time. Mm-hmm. So my kids were young. Bart had boys that were about the same, a little bit older than my kids. So his kids are playing baseball. My kids are cheerleaders. Um, and basically Bart and I have the task of being the sideline reporters for the Astros and for the Rockets, and they never said, okay, Bart, you do Rockets. Patty, you do Astros. It's like, look, somebody's got to do sidelines for all of these games. And mm-hmm. you guys figure it out. So really, Bart and I actually shared an office, and yeah. he and I would look at the schedule every week and go, "All right, well, my kid's got baseball tonight, and I got a cheerleading competition this weekend. You take this game, I'll take that game." We never missed a game between the two of us. Right. We, I mean, he is truly like my brother. He was mm-hmm. my TV husband at the time, and we um, would just split up the games. We would bend over backwards to cover for each other and make sure our schedules would work. And, um, yeah, we did sideline for years for the Astros, the Rockets. And then, of course, when the Texans came into existence, we did all the Texans weekly shows. Right. Bart did most of the traveling in those early years because I was always at cheer competitions with my girls on yep. weekends. Um, so I'd do some of the weekly shows, the press conference on Monday, but he'd go travel with the team. Right, right. You so, did the press conference. Yeah. yeah. So we made it all work. Um, just, you know, kind of sharing one, well, sharing a number of jobs, but we split the, the duties between the two of us. Sideline reporting for the Astros versus the Rockets. Baseball, I mean, NBA, you're going to be down near the floor somewhere. Baseball, where do you go? I mean, there's it's unlimited. You can't be on the field. You're in the stands somewhere. It's not like football where you're on the sideline or basketball where you're courtside. So how do you handle baseball sideline reporting? Um, it's interesting now because I watched Julia Morales do it now and it's a little bit different than when I was doing it. You know, she's kind of down there in the little, um, photo. Yeah. Well, and she kind of stays sort of down there, um, which is very cool. I was never, Greg Lucas usually was down there when I was doing it, but I was all over the place. I would Mm go, you know, we had our progressive fan of the game. So I was out doing a fan of the game. I was, um, I'd go up to the. Uh, the rooftop and do a hit. I'd go up on the train. I'd just go kind of all over and do different hits with right. different people. You know, probably. And then, you know, you do certain reads throughout the game, promos and stuff, and I have a seat in the press box. So for the most part, I'm in the press box um, doing those reads, and then I probably do four or five hits throughout the game. You know, if I'm going to go down and interview President Bush, I'm just going down to his seat or, um, you know, depending on what dignitaries are in the House or wherever, I'm just usually going to them. You've interviewed President Bush a number of times, and he enjoys talking with you. So what is that like? How did that relationship, whatever on-air relationship you have, how did that evolve? Um, Just, you know, just over time, it got to a point where um, every opening day, I always went over and interviewed him. And at first, it was like, you know, you have to go through the Secret Service and, you know, okay it, and he'd think about it. And and then it just got to the point where it's, you know, just kind of a wave. wave and over. Other, yeah, yeah. And, um, and it, towards the end, I mean, it really got to where he wasn't doing interviews anymore. And yet he mm. would still always do that interview with me. And I, I think one of the last ones that I did with him um, – was uh, probably my favorite because Barbara had got up. And it wasn't early in the game. It was late in the game, to, to actually towards the seventh inning. Barbara had left, and I actually went and sat in her seat to do the interview. Right. And I did it. And then um, he's like, why don't you just, just stay? We just started talking. He's asking me about, you know, my kids. And he was just, yeah. you know, which we, this is not like we're friends or anything. And uh, he's just being really, really friendly and um Anyway, so we sat there and just chatted for quite a while, and then Jack Ingram came out and sang God Bless America. And by now, he's, you know, very late into his 80s, maybe 90. Yeah. And um, so I helped him stand up to sing God Bless America, 
And while we're standing there and I helped him up, we stood there holding hands while Jack Ingram sang God Bless America. And as I stood there, I'm like, you know what? This is one of those moments that, you know, not only will I tell my kids about, I'll be telling my grandkids about someday. And you're telling all the listeners to this podcast. And I'm telling everyone out there and their grandkids right now too. But yeah, it was a pretty proud moment. I'd have to say it ranks up there with one of my most precious memories. All right, let me ask you about this because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you don't even know, I think you're the first person to interview Roger Clemens after all the stuff broke, after he went through everything. I think I was too now that you mentioned it. I don't remember. the. I, I think you're right. I just remember watching this thinking, She's got Roger Clemens. Nobody's talked to Roger Clemens. Yeah. And yet you talked to him. Yeah. You already had that relationship with him during yeah. the years of 04, 05 here with the Astros. But, you know, obviously he went through all the process of you know, Congress and everything else. Uh, what was that like? Um, it was just normal because yeah. I'm not, you know, the one thing I think when you are trying to establish relationships with these players or with anybody is you, if you want them to respect you, you have to respect them. And, you know, I'm not out there um, getting scoops. I'm not out there to break news. I mean, my I really always looked at, and I was fortunate that, you know, Fox put me in the position that I was in, that, I, you know, I was out there to, to tell those stories. And that just, I didn't have to sit there and do stats and be all, you know, I could just go and, and find a different side and tell a story. Mm-hmm. So um, to get back to your original question, I, I wasn't going in there to go exploit Roger and, oh my gosh, I got him. Let, let's hammer him with this. It was just, um, you know, kind of knowing what he's comfortable talking about. And sometimes you have to ask that before you go on. Right. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just trust. So I respect the space he was in and where he was coming from. Um, and I think he did the interview because he respected me back, knowing that that was the kind of treatment he was going to get. Well, I think it's a testament to you, the Houston Sports Awards that you did with the Harris County Houston Sports Authority earlier this year was a tremendous success. And you had so many iconic sports figures there. I mean, just one after the other. You had the big three with the 34s. You had Roger Clemens. You had George Foreman. I mean, the list goes on. and on. Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, all of it. What was it like trying to get all those people together? A nightmare. A nightmare, <laughs> it was an yeah. absolute nightmare. Yeah. Um, on one night. On one night. I can't make it that night. Can you do it Friday? No, it's going to be this night. Yeah, and all 10 of you guys, all 10 of you hosts. I mean, to get, yeah. no, it was a. Um, and we're it, such divas and pretty You are such divas, especially you. No, yeah. it was, it, yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, and there's, you know, some people that didn't make it, but not very many. I mean, mm-hmm. it's. Um, you know, a lot of it goes back to in Houston, and you know this, we have some really, really good guys here. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, for some reason, they're just good guys, and they get it, and a lot of them still live here, and they're they're part of the community, and they're right. not hidden, and you see them out at restaurants and things like that. And then some of them are just, um, honestly, it's, yeah, had to beg. Um, you know, I mean, I'll... I'll Jeff, I hope you're not listening, but, I mean, I'll text Jeff Bagwell and say, hey, can you do blah, 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 and he may answer me that day mm-hmm. he may not answer for a week he may not answer for a month he may never answer right. but it, but he'll do it and at at the end of the night and and well Roger's actually a better texter than Jeff but at the end of the night after sports awards was over I got a text from all of those guys unsolicited saying oh my gosh that yeah. was incredible yeah. um, now Jeff was nominated and um, so um, I made him come. Sometimes, you you know, there's also a, at this point, I'm let's face it, I'm not 25 years old anymore. So I'm not afraid to go, you know, demand and grab somebody by the ear and say. You Call need, one in. You need to get your butt there. Yeah. <laughs> I need you there. Right. So, um, yeah, but it was, um, you know, we had about 100 celebs and athletes in that room. 
and um, going back to the Phi Slamma Jamma days and all Hakeem's mm-hmm. teammates and to get Les Alexander to fly in from Florida was probably the biggest one because um, everybody said there's no way Les is coming back. And the, the cool part about, the, even Clyde, I'm like, Clyde, I need you to help me get Les here. He's our Lifetime Achievement Award winner. And he's like, Patty, he's not coming. There's no way he's going to come back. And um, Les agreed to come back and everybody still thought he wouldn't make it, but he did. And um, that was just one of those really cool moments because that was the first time that anybody had heard from him since he sold the team and since he left. Right. And so I thought it was great for Les. He got to thank the city for all those years. It gave the city a chance to thank him for what he did. And it was just it was just really cool. All right, let's go back now. There you are doing sideline, Astros, Rockets, but you're also doing Texans Huddle. And you've interviewed, I mean, every Texans player over the years. So give me one or two of the guys that you enjoyed interviewing more than others. Not that, you know, they're better or whatever, but really fun Texans interviews that you've enjoyed over the years. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you've you've taught to everybody. You've taught to JJ, and you go back to David Carr. You go to Matt Schaub. You go to, I mean, Arian Foster. You've talked to everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the early, earlier days, and to this day still, I always love, love, love JJ Moses. Just one of my favorite guys. And he's here now. And he's here now. Exactly. Um, Kylie Wong. Love, love, love Kylie Wong. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Both those guys were at Sports Awards. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just certain guys that you just, um, you know, John Weeks. I mean, there's certain guys you can just pick up the phone and call and they'll do anything for you. They'll say to you, look, hey, if you ever need anything, I'm here. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, believe it or not, and, and and I never had a, like, a real tight, close relationship with Arian Foster by any stretch, but I always thoroughly enjoyed my interviews with him. And we yeah. would kind of go, um, you know, it, it would get kind of thought-provoking. You know, yeah. he might take one. That's him. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and we kind of go back and forth about it, and then, you know, he doesn't look at me or talk to me ever again. But in the interview, it was always one of my favorite interviews. You know, one moment I remember at training camp, Deion Sanders visiting with the NFL Network, and he wasn't talking to the media, but he talked to you. So what's your history with prime time? And I remember everybody standing around. He didn't talk to us, and he's talking to Patty, doing a one-on-one with Patty. So how did yeah. that? Happen? And the best part of it was he walked right. They all grabbed him, and he he walked right. Everybody and goes, "No, no, not today, guys. Come on, Patty. What do you need?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that was, that's a fun moment. Yeah, but that and that was really that's that's a different that's fluky because Deanna and I are actually from the same hometown. Right. So going back to Fort Myers, Florida, way back in the day, he went to a rival high school. I've known him since he was right out of high school. Mm -hmm. And then we were in Atlanta together. So he was playing for the Falcons and the Braves, which when I started um, my career in Atlanta, producing that show I told you about for the Falcons, um, that's where I met Dion. And um, so, yeah, and he went through a phase in Atlanta where I don't know if you remember, I can't, who was the reporter? Remember he flipped the table on? Oh, Uh, yeah. I I, I can't think of who it is. If you tell me, I'll remember. But, uh, yeah, and he went through a a period where he wouldn't talk to any media then. And I don't think he was being – I think he just had a a schedule that particular day or whatever. And he and I were standing there talking, just catching up. And I said, hey, I need to grab you real quick after practice. And he's like, okay, no problem. Right. You know, It's the history. And then maybe realized he didn't have time, but he'd already said yes, that he would do it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was one of those moments that made me look good, probably made me look better than (laughs) it really truly was. But, yeah, that's just – years and years of history how has your experience being off camera before when you were a producer helped you with what you're doing now with the harris county houston sports authority um 
it's it's helped a lot because we are doing things at the sports authority that they hadn't done before. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm in a space that I really know nothing about. Yeah, but you brought this whole whole media world that's, to them, right? Right, and so that's kind of the beauty of it. It's one of those things that you know, it's kind of a testament to, um, you know. Do you hire someone to do a specific job or do you hire a really good person and let them bring their skill set to the table and maybe you do things that are outside the box? So the Sports Authority really, and for people that don't know what the Sports Authority does, it was originally put together about 20 years ago to get the stadiums built so and finance them. So raised the bonds for them. So it started with Enron Field with Drayton and built that, helped build um, this one, uh, Reliant and um, Toyota Center. And then um, basically we become the landlords for the stadiums and, you know, kind of manage the debt service on them. Well, once the stadiums were all built, we became sort of the marketing arm for the city. So we go out and put the bids in to bring events back to Houston, whether it's assisting in Final Four, uh, Super Bowl, AAU Junior Olympics, or this rugby match I was telling you about. Any sporting event that comes to Houston, there's a bid process for The Sports Authority goes out and does that. Some of them we manage and run. Some of them, like the Super Bowl, they come and run their own events. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what we do. So um, all that being said, the question that gets asked is, just that. Wait, what does the sports authority do? So, you know, I kind of come in and help raise that awareness. What do we do and what can we do to do our job better? Well, uh, what I know is media. What I know is you guys. And so as I'm sitting here doing just this, talking about it, and people now know, I was like, oh yeah, I know the sports authority and let's do the sports awards and and that, you know, huge profile raising. And there's not a lot of people um, who had, as you said, access to that many athletes and the teams and all those relationships to pull that event right. off. And that was a, a dream of Janice's was to do sports awards for years, but she didn't have the um, capacity in the, the staffing or the wherewithal or the connections to pull it off. Even if it was a great idea, you still have to execute. So I think it was just a, a good combination and bringing all of that, those past experiences into what the sports authority does and maybe not in the manner in which they did it before, but mm-hmm. just elevating it and changing directions a little bit. You have two daughters, and you talked about your kids and Bart Ennis and juggling the schedules and everything as a sideline reporter Well, and everything else you were doing. You weren't just that. It's Fox Sports Southwest back in the day. Family and career balance. So you're working a lot of nights. I mean, what was the scheduling like? How did that all go down for you? Because, you know, there's always a, I think it's always tough for, for women, for moms. You know, are you a stay-at-home mom? Are you a working mom? And I think that... You know, there are pros and cons to both, and I think it's such a tough spot for women uh, to make that decision. So how did that go down for you? Um, Well, I mean, first and foremost, I will say that my kids' family always came first. Mm -hmm. And I'm extremely fortunate, blessed, and lucky to have worked for Mike Anastasio and John Heidke at Fox Sports Southwest, who, albeit that that was their philosophy or just the fact that they were in Dallas and had no idea that we, what we were doing down here or not, but they gave Bart and I the ability to just work it out. There, It was, look, we know you guys do a good job. You get your job done and work it out. And I, you, know, you see, I think most women in sports, they can be great at what they do and, and really great at it. And then you start having kids and you just, you physically can't. I mean, if I had to travel with the teams and if I had to work every single night of 162 Astro games and not had that flexibility I had with Bart, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Right. So I think um, I was just lucky. I mean, honestly, really lucky. And there, you know, I had opportunities to go um, and I guess take, call it a promotion if you want, but move on, go, you know, 
go to, did I want to go to ESPN or go somewhere else and move on? Um, no, I was always going to pick my family first. And, you know, sometimes you think it's like, okay, well, I'm settling, but you're really not because, you know, and I think that's a, and women in any industry have that struggle. If you're a working mom, you know, you're not giving a hundred percent to your job. You're not giving a hundred percent to your family. You always feel like you're falling short, mm-hmm. but you have to kind of find that peace. If you know that, you know, just doing one isn't for you. You have to do both. You've got to kind of find that piece that, look, I'm going to give it my all, and I'll probably be 90% at both of them. Right. And I just feel like my 90% is better than most people's 100 anyway. So um, I just had to kind of accept that, and, uh, and it worked for a lot of years. Well, what you just said about your 90 being better than most people's 100, I love that. Where did you get the confidence? I mean, was that installed at a young age? Was it through just doing things well as you got rolling through school in your early days in your career? I mean, how did that get in I don't in know. You? Good question. I don't know. Um, and maybe it's not. I, you know, I mean, maybe yeah. I'm on. <laughs> maybe my kids are going, Mom, you sucked. You were 50%. Where were you? Um, but um, no, I don't know. I mean, I just, it's, you know, you kind of, it, it comes easy when something's that important to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's, uh, there's probably, and, I, and I'm not saying this flat out truth there's not one day of being a mom that i've ever 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 like regretted ever been overly stressed it just it came pretty easy um, wow yeah with daughters with daughters uh, i mean there's a few times i pulled my hair out but i mean yeah. it's you know it, i tell you all that all the time because your kids are have always been younger than mine i guess they always will be um but you know enjoy the moment because it goes by so fast yeah. and i and I, it's easy to say now, but I, I did at the time, too. I, I always, always, always enjoyed that moment. So it was never a big um, – and, and my daughters now are 23 and 19, and they are legitly my best friends. And it's uh, it's just easy. And my, my job was the same way. I loved it. It was never um, grueling. It was never awful. So when you really thoroughly love and enjoy something, it's just not that difficult. So maybe I fooled myself into thinking my 90% is so great, but, um, you know, I haven't had any complaints. I think, you know, you could go down to 80, 70, still be better than most people's 100. (laughs) Patty, thanks so much for joining us on this. Thanks, Mark.